This is The Atlantis Stone by me, Nick Thacker, read by my friend with a much better voice, Mike Vendetti. Chapter 13. Jeff groaned and sat up. Had he been unconscious? The blast from the flash grenade had rattled his brain, and it took him a minute to clear his mind. He heard gunshots in the theater, but he couldn't get to his feet. He waited by the table for a moment, shaking his head and getting his equilibrium. Where's Wayne? After a few seconds, two men ran from the theater, the younger one being dragged along by one of the intruders. Jeff didn't recognize either man, but he knew what he had to do. He reached for his gun, but found only the cold, empty floor. Where was it? He guessed that it had been knocked from his hand by the flashbang. Another explosion went off in the theater, sounding like a thunderclap. At the same time, the younger man stumbled, dragging his captor down with him. Jeff saw his chance. I may not have a gun, but I can sure make this asshole's escape a little more difficult. Jeff's high school football coach would have been proud. The tackle was hard, fast, and incredibly effective. Jeff placed the crown of his head right in the soft part of the soldier's gut, driving forward with his legs. Though shorter and more slightly built, Jeff took down the soldier in a tumbling heap that left them intertwined, rolling on the floor. Before the man could react, Jeff landed a devastating punch between the man's eyes blow strong enough to shock a bull into motion back on his parents' ranch. He followed with a few quick jabs to the man's side, aiming for his liver. The sudden attack only kept the man off balance for a moment. Obviously trained to fight, he quickly regained his composure and easily started slipping Jeff's punches. Jeff tried to step up his barrage, but he was still feeling the effects of the flashbang and couldn't get the upper hand. Suddenly, the soldier shot a fist hard into Jeff's face. Jeff heard his own jaw crack. He instinctively raised his guard against the next blow, but the soldier went to his gut instead. The air left his body, and it was all he could do to reach up and try to wrap his arms around the larger man, trying to get him into a wrestler's hold. He held fast, but the larger man was still on his feet and fully in control. With a swift elbow to the head, he dislodged Jeff from his body and fled through the hole in the wall. His legs like rubber, Jeff collapsed, beaten. He felt his consciousness slipping again, even as he was filled with rage at losing the fight.
Chapter 14. The other man in the room, Agent Johannes Karn, was still slumped against the wall where he'd fallen, having landed there after the American man's gunshot had knocked him off his feet. The bullet had punched through his clothing, but it stopped only a few millimeters into his Kevlar bulletproof vest. He'd watched as his second-in-command, Vladimir Becca, dragged Cole Reed from the theater, and he'd also watched the American security guard, surprisingly agile for his size, throw Becca's grenade onto the stage. An impressively quick reaction, Karn thought. He had remained motionless against the wall since the bullet knocked him there. The explosion on stage had rocked the room, but had missed him entirely. He stayed still as the American ran out. He could not let this obviously well-trained guard know that he was still alive, still a threat. As soon as the American was gone, Agent Karn rose from the floor and used the cover of smoke to bolt onto the stage and out through the other exit. He'd see this security guard again. He was sure of it. Chapter 15. James Whittenfield, Jr. marched into the lounge. He'd been asleep at his estate 10 miles down the road and had been alerted to the intrusion before the firefight was even over. What happened? What did they want from us? He asked. Then almost as an afterthought, he added, Is everyone okay? He gasped involuntarily as he took in the destruction of the lounge area inside Building E. A gaping, smoking hole was all that remained of the wall that used to separate the backstage area from this room, and debris and rubble from the grenade blast was scattered everywhere. One table had been wiped clear and turned into a gurney, which held the bleeding Alan Bear, who had been shot in the shoulder by the intruders. On the floor next to Bear's table was a rumpled heap of the stage curtain in the shape of a man. Officer Eric Benson hadn't fared as well as Bear, a bullet in his chest had left him bleeding and dying on the lounge floor. Until the grenade detonated on the other side of the wall, sending a shard of brick through the back part of his skull and killing him instantly. Bryce, seated at a table with the Thompsons, explained to Whittenfield what had happened. We were breached by a well-armed force, one we estimate at least seven or eight strong. They were apparently looking for something. I was running the perimeter check and was ambushed next to Building H. The two guards on duty, he continued, glancing toward Benson's corpse, were also overpowered. Thompson's were inside Building E at the time of the attack, and they were able to stage a delaying action and hold the intruders at bay briefly. But they were outnumbered and not gunned. This man, Cole Reed, was with them. He claims he was abducted and brought here against his will. Rice nodded in the direction of a young man leaning against the wall with his hands behind his back. Jeff Thompson was watching the man with barely concealed suspicion. Whoever broke in was looking for something, which they apparently found, Rice finished. Any idea what they wanted so bad? Jeff asked, not taking his eyes off Reed. Whittenfield looked around at the group. He took a deep breath, calming his nerves and sat down heavily. Captain Reynolds, when I brought you on board, I mentioned that my research firm was originally started by my father. The development of substitute materials project or something like that. Exactly. 
His team was tasked with developing the original atomic bomb, the infamous Manhattan Project, as it came to be known. They were supposed to build a laboratory for that project, the Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. But my father declined. He wasn't happy with the direction of the project and withdrew in search of a more philanthropic breakthrough. Wayne interrupted. Breakthrough in what? Good question, Woodenfield continued. The project was first called the development of substitute materials because that's exactly what it was. My father and two other scientists on that first team accidentally created a synthetic material that reacted with other elemental materials in strange ways. Not strongly. The material they created was only microscopic and couldn't be produced on a larger scale. But they saw miraculous results nonetheless. What kind of results? Reed blurted. The others all turned, looking at him with uniform disapproval. What? Reed protested. So I'm curious. It's a good story. Wittenfield paused long enough for the silence to make Reed uncomfortable, then continued. In one experiment, the scientists mixed the material with water, hydrogen and oxygen, as you know, and the solution solidified immediately. Not like ice or epoxy, but different. It was still fully water, yet something entirely different. My father began experimenting with different pure substances. Helium, potassium, eventually uranium. A year or so after the project commenced, he ended the research abruptly and stopped the project. He withdrew from the team and launched Wittenfield Research Laboratory the next year. He worked in isolation here outside of Washington, D.C. Government was never aware that he'd stumbled onto something big and they assumed he'd just gone off the deep end. However, we've been able to piece together his research over the years, he kept diligent notebooks and diaries, and I believe that he found something so spectacularly powerful in his combination of the synthetic and uranium that he had to keep it under wraps until he could make sense of it and stabilize it. Bryce was having trouble keeping up. Tell me more about this synthetic material you mentioned. How'd they create it? Or where did it come from? Well, there's no explanation in these notebooks. His diaries begin in the middle of the first experiments. However, he does mention in one early entry that, since we were able to successfully duplicate the properties, initial tests are underway. We think it means that his team had some sort of material in their possession already, something they were trying to copy. Maybe a pure form of this synthetic. Suddenly Cole snapped to attention. That's it. That's what they were looking for. The others glared at Cole again, but he ignored them, addressing Wittenfield directly. You said your father kept diligent journals, but he didn't mention anything about how he came across this synthetic material. Correct, Wittenfield replied, still suspicious but growing curious. Well... While I was with those guys who abducted me, they did tests on me, not like anything weird, just IQ tests, physical fitness exams, stuff like that. They kept referencing some crystal substance that I think they were trying to learn about. 
This rock or whatever was something they apparently already had there at their place. They mentioned keeping it safe and stuff like that. Actually, their main guy kept it on his possession at all times, I think. Anyway, I asked one of those guards. I think his name was Karn or something about it. And he actually told me a little. Apparently, their leader had acquired it somehow. But Karn thought it was something that had been passed down through some society or organization he had ties to. I think he sent those guys here to see if your team had any more information about it. If your father did have a journal that explained where he got that material, it might also explain how it was originally made. Wintonfield's face darkened as Cole finished. Who was their leader? Did you hear his name? Tanning something, Tanning Vinyl, Tanning Vinylsec. Dr. Tanning Vinylsec, the founder and owner of Vinylcore. Wittenfield said, his fury and exasperation building. 